Hey church, how are we? All good? What an awesome morning. It's just saying to Mark, I could probably just go and get a coffee and start mingling. We've, we've had church already, eh? But, um, but no, God's put this word on my heart and, uh, you know, we're going to get back into eschatology again today. So uh, eschatology is the study of end times. So uh, I know last time when we uh, brought the slides up, that was a lot for everybody to take in and I don't expect anyone to have done that. But I did ask for homework. Put your hand up if you did the homework. Joe, well done, love. <laughs> Matthew 24 and Daniel 9 was what, we, what I suggested you go to. So we're going to, we're, we're going to head into Daniel today and we're going to go over his 70 weeks. It's probably one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible, I certainly believe. But it's a building block for end time understanding. So walk with me. It's a, it's a lot to get through. Um, I won't apologize for that because it's God's word, not mine. But if you get hold of this, I believe the slides that we went through the other week will start to come alive to you, okay? So I just want to start with prayer and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your time that you gave me to prep for this, Lord. And I just pray that uh, this goes and touches every heart. Dear Lord, give us ears to hear and uh, a mind to understand what we're about to hear. It's a privilege to give your word today, Lord. In Jesus we pray, amen. So, as I mentioned, we're going to go from Daniel 9, 24 to 27 today. You right, Zoe? And we're going to do it in five sections. Zoe. We're going to do it in five sections. We're going to start with section one, which is uh, Daniel 9, 24. And we're going to talk about the time frame of the prophecy, who it affects, and its purpose and outcomes. And then we're going to get into uh, Daniel 9.25, which will be our second section. We're going to talk about the first seven weeks prophesied and talk about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And we're going to stay in Daniel 9.25 for section three, and that talks about the next 62 weeks and, uh, and the bringing in of Messiah. And then we're going to go to section 4, which is Daniel 9.26, and we're going to talk about a gap. And it's an undefined time frame between the first 69 consecutive weeks and Daniel's 70th week. And then we're going to head to Daniel 9.27 on section 5, the final week, the final week of Daniel, and that talks about the Antichrist and the tribulation period. Before we even begin with section 1, I just want us to familiarize ourselves with some context around what's happening at the time. Um, Daniel is in captivity in Babylon, along with all of the Israelites. We know that he has a full understanding of the scriptures. If you, st if you read Daniel, you, you'll acquire that. We know that he has honored God and all that he has done while he's been in Babylon. We know that God has worked through him and to him the whole time that he's been in captivity. And we know that uh, God has elevated Daniel to senior leadership within every kingdom while he's been there. We also know that he intimately knew the scriptures of Jeremiah. So come with me to Jeremiah 29.4. Here we go. 
29.4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take the wives of your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in the midst of your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed in Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. What an amazing passage. This was written by Jeremiah 180 years before Daniel's getting this download. The accuracy is, it's amazing. But this is Daniel's hope. These scriptures are Daniel's hope for where he is. So now come with me, we're going to head back into Daniel. Come with me to Daniel 9.20. Should come up here for those who aren't quick flickers. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people of Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening of the offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I've come to tell you that you're highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel knows the 70 years written of in Jeremiah is now coming to a close. So he's fasting and praying for his nation's return from captivity to Jerusalem. He's asking God for answers about the end of the Babylonian captivity. God gives him an answer that goes all the way to Jesus' second coming. So with that background in mind, we can begin. We're going to go to Daniel 29... Daniel 9, 24 to 27, and I'm just going to read through the whole scripture, and then we're going to break it down. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again, the plaza, the moat, and even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate 
even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So pretty straightforward. <laughs> Not really? Okay. So let's start with section 1, Daniel 9.24. Time frames, who it affects, purposes and outcomes. So we're going to even break this down a little bit further because it's, it's uh, there's some stuff that we just really need to get hold of. So we're going to start with the time frame. And in the beginning it says 70 weeks have been decreed. So we're just going to sit there for a bit. Weeks. To us, whenever we hear a week mentioned, we instantly assume seven days. But that's, uh, with the Jews, that would never be their assumption. You see, biblically, the word week uh, is linked to the number seven. And I'll show you where in a minute. Genesis 29:26 is a good example of this. We find uh, Jacob, who's worked for seven years for Laban, for the hand of his daughter Rachel in marriage. Laban tricks Jacob, and he actually marries Leah. So we pick this up in Genesis 29, 26. But Laban says, it's not our practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and then we'll give you the other also for the service of which you shall serve for me another seven years. Jacob did so, completed her week, and he gave him the daughter of Rachel's wife. So this is quite hard for us to get our head around due to our worldly calendar system, but a biblical week can be any time frame of seven. So in the Bible, we have weeks of days, we have weeks of weeks, we have weeks of months, and we have weeks of years. The 70 weeks that Gabriel talks about to Daniel here is 70 weeks of years. So that would be 77s or 490 years. Cool? Then we get to years. It's not going to take that long. I'm not going to go through every word, trust me. A biblical year is 360 days. How do you know? Well, because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> there are many scriptures on this, but maybe the easiest example is there's an event that's talked about in both Revelation and Daniel. Same event. But it's described with three different time frames. So Revelation 11.2 calls this event a period of 42 months. Daniel 7.25 calls the same event a period of three and a half years, or in some translations, time, times, and half a time. And Revelation 11.3 calls the same period 1,260 days. We got any mathematicians here? Really? Okay. So we're going to do some maths. If we divide every one of these time frames by 3.5, we'll get a common denominator. So if we uh, divide 42 months by 3.5 in Revelation 11.2, we get 12 months. If we do the same to the Dan 7.25, we get one year. If we do the same for the days, we get 360 days. All good? So hold that thought. We're going to come back to that later. Who it affects? So Dan 975, we're, we're past the 70 weeks, 490 years. That's been decreed for your people and your city. This is a really, really important point about all of end time scripture. If you get this, you'll be on your way. The whole of the 490 years that Gabriel talks to Daniel about is about 
his people, the Jews, and the holy city, Jerusalem. Really paramount. This is not about the Gentiles or the church or and it's not about Wellington. It's about the Jews and it's about Jerusalem. You got that? Cool. And it's purpose. So what is it for? Seventy weeks has been decreed for your people, the Jews and Jerusalem, but what's it for? It's to finish the transgression. Has that happened yet? Not that I know of. It's to make an end of sin. Has that happened yet? Certainly not that I know of. To make, it, um, to make atonement of iniquity. Atonement for iniquity. Jesus did on the cross, eh? To bring in everlasting righteousness? Not yet. To seal up vision and prophecy? Not yet. 520, at least 520 prophecies in the Bible yet to come to fruition and to anoint the most holy place, not yet. So these outcomes will all be fulfilled by Jesus himself. One has been, five are yet to come. And it'll be fulfilled on his second coming. Right, we head into section two, Daniel 9.25. The first seven weeks. So you are now to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again. So it's split in two. That's why we're going to do this in two sections. It's talking about two different events. The first seven weeks, we're talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The next 62 weeks, which is a consecutive, so stick with me, it's talking about Messiah being crowned as prince, okay? So we're just going to do the first seven weeks. And it says that a decree will be issued, right? So we're going to look at some decrees that were issued. First, Cyrus issued a decree in 537 BC in Ezra. Then Darius also in Ezra, Artaxerxes, 458. And then Artaxerxes in 445 in Nehemiah. But out of these four decrees, there's only one that talks about rebuilding Jerusalem. And that's what the word says. Rebuild Jerusalem. So that's what we look at. The first three decrees are talking about rebuilding the temple or rebuilding the wall. Or so our starting point is 445 BC. There's no other prophecies I know of that give you a starting point. 49 years after this, Jerusalem was built. Let's go to section three. We're still in Daniel 9.25 and now talking about the 62 weeks after Jerusalem was built. Messiah Prince, there will be after 62 weeks, Messiah the Prince. So from Artaxerxes' decree in 445, that's still our starting point, we can determine the exact day that Messiah the Prince is announced. Isn't that amazing? It says there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So for us to get the exact time frame, we need to add the two together. Are we still on track? 
So it's 69 weeks from the beginning of Artaxerxes' decree. We're going to do another mass equation, so stick with me. First, we're going to add the weeks together. 7 plus 62 is 69. We know that Gabriel was referring to weeks of years. We've established that. So let's multiply 69 by 7. We also know that a biblical year is 360 days. So let's multiply that out. 173,880 days. The decree was documented as being on March 14, 445 BC. The triumphal entry is documented as being April 6, 32 AD. Exactly 173,880 days apart. So what's Gabriel's margin for error here? Zero. Zip, not one day. Gabriel told Daniel the precise day that Jesus would present himself as Messiah. I just want to have a little chat about Sir Robert Anderson, who he was. Sir Robert Anderson was a devoted evangelical and a prominent public servant for the Crown in the days of Victorian England. As Chief Inspector of Scotland Yard, he was renowned for his excellent work as an investigator. As well as writing on the subjects related to criminal investigation, he also wrote Christian books on devotional and prophetic subjects. When his heart and mind were drawn to the elusive prophecies of Daniel, which are the keys to unlocking end-time mysteries, his careful and penetrating investigative talents brought us a wonderful landmark work. His in-depth study of the 70 weeks prophecy, The Coming Prince, which is a, uh, he wrote a whole book on this mass equation, for those of you who want to uh, get a bit more in-depth on it. It still stands today as the benchmark work on the subject. His remarkable contribution, however, was not something any intelligent or diligent investigator could discover. Many brilliant men had preceded him in attempting to crack the mystery of Daniel's 70 weeks. Even Sir Isaac Newton had tackled it in a couple of centuries before, but all had failed. But Sir Robert Anderson had something else going for him. He was a devoted man of God and his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So that's where the math comes from. For those of you who want to go and read the book, I'd suggest it's a, a pretty cool thing to do. So I just want to pause from Daniel for a minute and just have a look into some detail around the day, April 6, 32 AD, because there's some pivotal things in here, right? So come with me to Luke 19.29. You there? So this is Jesus, right? When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And then we go to Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king. But the Jewish establishment of the time were not looking at Jesus as their king. Even though these scriptures say so clearly, so defined, 
Jesus was fulfilling scripture all day long here. But the Pharisees and the people of Israel, they just couldn't see it. Yet they were self-professed theologians of the scriptures, but they couldn't piece together what was unfolding before their own eyes. Not only did the establishment not crown him as king on that day, five days later they had him crucified. John 19.15 says this, but they shouted, the Jewish masses, they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Now we're moving forward to Luke 19.36. He was going. They were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. They were shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus' followers the very first Christians got what this day was about. On this day, they declared the Lord, they declared on the day the Lord had made that Jesus was not just fulfilling many scriptures, but declaring himself to the world as Messiah. Those with eyes saw it, but the masses did not. They rejected him. And then we head down to verse 39. Some of the Pharisees said in the crowd, Say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these became silent, the stones would cry out. The Pharisees show their true colors here. They understand that Jesus' followers, by singing Psalm 118, were indeed declaring him to be King and Messiah. And they were demanding Jesus to rebuke his followers because this is truly blasphemous in their eyes. But Jesus instead rebuked them and said, if my believers did not cry out, the stones would. Why? Why would the stones cry out? Because of the significance of this day. This was a monumentous day for the kingdom of God. It was huge, and it deserved praise and celebration. Amen. So after he was rejected, he wasn't angry or full of vengeance, or praying, Dad, flood, flood them again. I'm over it. Take me home. He was sad. It says in Luke 19.41, When he approached, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And this and the tears that he wept over the grave of Lazarus in John 11.35 are the only recorded instances of the Lord's tears. And this isn't a simple teardrop down his cheek. Translated properly, this is a cry from his soul. He cried out because he foresaw the consequences for his beloved brethren, his beloved city, his beloved country for rejecting him as King and Messiah. Luke 19.42 says this, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. This is a really, really important scripture for understanding end times. Jesus points out the significance of the day to begin with, and then he addresses Jerusalem and Israel as a person, even you. The things which make peace. Who knows there's no peace on this earth? There's only the peace that Jesus brings, amen? 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking firstly about salvation and the peace that only comes through him. They miss it. And then he says something that's really interesting. He says, then it's hidden from your eyes. They're spiritually blinded in that moment as a race. What are they spiritually blinded from? From seeing that Jesus Christ will bring their salvation and peace. Then we go to chapter 43. We take a look at the consequences for that rejection. For days will come upon you when your enemies will throw down a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you, not one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And this, of course, he's talking about the siege by Titus, and we're going to cover that in, in, in section 4. But it doesn't end there. The Jews have been spiritually blinded. They've been over, they're going to be overrun again. But Jesus gives them a glimpse of a second chance here, which is kind of interesting. Come to Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent her? How often I wanted to gather your children the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and, and you, are will, you are unwilling. Behold, your house has been left to you desolate, for I say to you, for now on you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that happens, eh? Scripturally, this happens. If you go back and study, go back and study the Israelites from day one up until then, you're going to find um, a pattern, a pattern of them not getting it right first time and getting it right second time. It's kind of interesting. It's also interesting that what Jesus said they have to do is sing Psalm 118, which is what his followers actually did sing. So he doesn't give them a different set of rules. It's the same rules for all of us. Amazing. Right, we're going we're gonna to come back to Daniel 9 now. I hope we don't feel too all over the place. We're going to go to Daniel 9.26 and get our head back around the 70th week. We're, to, and we're talking about a gap. So up until now, we've had defined triggers, defined starts, sometimes defined ends, and def very defined time frames. But right now, there's an, a gap, uh, and, it's, and it's for an undefined time frame. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. So that's kind of not happy, happy times. I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> after the 69th week of Daniel, but not in the 70th week. That's our gap. Are you with me? This time frame is commonly known as the church era. We're living in it now. I'm not for, for how much longer, but we're, that, that's the era we're in. Within this gap, all of verse 26 occurs. So just start with, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. This is in reference to Jesus and the crucifixion, of course. Many theologians believe that the reference to having nothing refers to the Jewish rejection of him as their Messiah, and he didn't receive his just rewards there and then. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and their sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. 
even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. This is also reference, we just talked about that before in Luke 19, 43, it's the same event. And it's the consequences for the Jew, uh, Israel and the Jews' rejection of Jesus and Messiah at the triumphant entry. That's what this is all about. Some 30 odd years after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Roman army led by Titus, who would later become an emperor, sacked the city, destroyed the temple, and fulfilled Jesus' prophecy. The Arch of Titus, celebrating this famous Roman victory, still stands in Rome today. Section 5. Now this section here, you could spend a day on, which we're not going to do today. So what I'm going to give you today is a summary of it. Daniel 9.27, is, there's a lot in here. Um, but let's go. Now everything that we have covered thus far has occurred with 100% accuracy, and of course it's all been fulfilled. However, this final week is yet to be. It has not started. It may be close, but it has not started. So let's begin. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will also put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So let's just begin at the start. The he he's talking about here is the Antichrist. So the Antichrist will make a firm covenant. The firm covenant is a peace treaty between Israel and the Arab nations. This, when this happens, this is now the end of the gap, you, the gap time frame and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. This is the trigger. Many call it the seven-year tribulation period. Um, part of the peace treaty will bring about the rebuilding of the third temple. Once that's completed, the customary Jewish sacrifice and for animals and grains, of course, will begin. In the middle of that seven-year peace treaty, the Antichrist will go back on his word, stop the Jews from sacrificing and offerings, and will set up a large idol of himself in the holiest of holies in the new temple. Jesus refers to this in uh, Matthew 24, 15. So, We've been on a journey that's a bit all over the place and there's a lot to take in, so we're going to recap quickly. If I put this up at the start, you probably would have got it straight away. So. so we started with a time frame, which I hope we've all get our heads around now, time frame 490 years. Out of that, seven years is left. We went over who it affects. It affects the, the Jewish people in Israel. That's why... In my first slides, when we talked about the birth of Israel, May, May 14, 1948, and the taking of Jerusalem in 1967, why they're so paramount? Because this now starts to make sense. People who spoke on this subject before that were laughed at. There's no Israel, and Jerusalem isn't in the hands of the Jews. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. What a wonderful time it's going to be. The first seven weeks, we talked about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, fulfilled. The next 62 weeks, we went over that. The gap. 
the gap, we're probably about here. If I had to guess. Within the period of the gap, our Lord was crucified, Jerusalem was taken, the temple was destroyed. And then we talked about the final seven years. As I said, that this is a massive subject. You could spend weeks on it. But I hope it gives you a bit more of an understanding on where everything is and where we are. Yeah? So, bro, is there any chance we can finish with a song, Simon? And uh, any questions after, by, by all means, come and see me. Just going to end in prayer just before you start, if that's all right. Where's the musos? Are they coming up? Or is it just you? Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, that you've done everything for us. All we need to do is walk in, listen and obey. So, Father, have your way. I pray, Father God, that this has opened the mind of a few people here today. Mm. I pray for the week ahead for everybody here. I pray you'll bless and protect it. In Jesus' name, amen.